What happens when a CEO, a shrink, and a rabbi start talking about mindfulness at work? Just about anything. Thank you for joining us at Mindful Work. You can learn more about this podcast at www.mindfulwork.show. And now, Mindful Work presents the author and clinical psychologist, Rabbi Dr. Benji Epstein, high-tech executive and award-winning educator, Rabbi Jason Rosen, and your host, Dan Cohen, CEO and founder of Full Court Press Communications. Enjoy the show. And now, we join Rabbi Dr. Benjamin Epstein at an event to launch his book, Living in the Presence, a Jewish mindfulness guide for everyday life. everybody for coming. We're all here? Anyway, thank you for coming. I know that we have a lot of events in the community, so we appreciate that everybody made an effort to come out. Um, it's an honor and privilege to welcome one of our oldest friends from Yemar Asha, um, someone who has managed to fuse Torah and psychology in such a beautiful way. I actually got the uh, memo that we should, we, we're, 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 everyone get the memo, check We're the only ones that got it. But uh, I'm looking forward and uh, without any further ado, Dr. Rabbi Binyamin Epstein. Quick, quick selfie. <laughs> So first, um, thank you so, so much. It's a weeknight. Everyone's working. Doctor and, and Mrs. Cement came all the way from Miami for this, and I really appreciate that. Post to Mifla Achsanya. Thank you so much to the Austins. It's uh, s- surreal uh, to be here with, with friends who are uh, from, we're old. I mean, not to look at old We're... Uh, Tara actually texted me before saying she wouldn't be able to make it. She's like, I'm so happy to see that you grew up. I'm like, not, not, not quite. Not quite. Um, so thank you so much, Alana and John, and uh, for opening up your home and, and, and for the community. A shout out to my uh, friend and PR director, Dan Cohen, also for coming. So thank you so much. And everyone for making the trip. Really, friends, friends, family, and uh, also my wife. Woo! Yeah. Everything, every time I'm speaking, it's, it's for Rufu Hashem and for my friend David Henach Mordechai, but I'm afraid of Simcha, she'd have Rufu Hashem very soon. Just uh, before we get into the presentation, just briefly about the book. Um, one of my colleagues, when I worked at YU, recently moved to Israel, and I asked him, well, excuse me, I texted him when he arrived, and, and I said, welcome to Israel, and he's doing some sort of mental health app, and I said, good luck disrupting the mental health space, because that's what we say in technology. And he said... Thank you so much. He said, maybe what I'm doing is as bold as reclaiming mindfulness from John Kabat-Zinn. And John Kabat-Zinn is the guru of mindfulness. John Kabat-Zinn brought mindfulness to the West from the East in the, from the University of Massachusetts. He was working with, in the pain clinic there. And he wrote a book, uh, Wherever You Go, There You Are, and Full Catastrophe Living. And really this whole mindfulness explosion, if you haven't heard the word mindfulness, then I'm not sure what we're doing here. But it's really become very, very... Uh, in vogue and very, in every single niche, in every single, in the business world, in the, in the medical world, really mindful, in, in the educational world. And he said, maybe it's as bold as reclaiming mindfulness from, from John Kabat-Zinn, bringing it back to traditional Jewish roots. And he said that to me before Shabbos, and I was, wow, that was a really nice thing to say. And I was thinking about it the whole Shabbos, texted him right after Shabbos, he's like, dude, I didn't say dude because he's a rabbi, I said, rabbi, Thank you so much. That was really that was really sweet. That was a really nice thing, and I, it was a really good milat tovah. 
And he said, well, I got it from you. Because when we were working in YU, you were so bothered by the fact that, and, and here's the, the sort of the kicker, is like Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein and Jack Kornfield and Sylvia Borstein and Tara Brock and the Tzadah Shabbat is, they're all Jewish. And who are they? They are the teachers. They are the leading teachers of Buddhism in the West, in America. And they're all Yidin. They're all Jews. And there was something in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, whatever was in the water, whatever was in the air, whatever was in the zeitgeist, right? That was calling to these people, but they couldn't find it in their own, from their own spiritual resources. And it really was like, I was sitting in graduate school and clearly as somebody who benefits personally from the mindfulness practices and what mindfulness does to attenuate us to the present moment, to the here and now, because I was learning about it in graduate school, I was like, I need this because I need to be more present and we all do. But uh, people, you know, again, you could ask Dr. and Mrs. Saman afterwards. They don't need to look at my childhood report cards to say that Benji could apply himself a little bit better and maybe stop talking so much in class. But what about us? You know, and I start off the book with seeing a a picture of the Dalai Lama sitting there serenely saying, my religion is kindness. And I'm thinking, hey, that's our religion too. But, you know, we don't think about that. And what we need to do now and it's really a schus, it's a real privilege to be, you know, what a time to be alive, where we can speak about these topics, we could speak about meditation, and we could speak about spirituality, and we could talk about how we can really fuse these things with our day-to-day life, day-to-day practices. I don't know where, where, did, where did that guy go? He's like, I meditate three times a day. And I was like, wow, you should be giving this. And he was referring to davening. And he's absolutely correct. But how many of us approach davening with that sort of mindset of, this is a time to really quiet ourselves and really get in touch with that still small voice that's within us. And we lose set, we lose track, excuse me, we lose track of that because there are a lot of do's and there are a lot of don'ts. But when we lose the picture, when we lose the forest through the trees, then Judaism and our spiritual traditions, which are so beautiful and so meaningful, become very rote and become very ritualistic. And so Combining some psychology and a lot of Torah, somebody came up to me, it was, was E.T.L. Golvith, it was Golvith, was it? He's like, congratulations on your book, Safer. I'm like, yes, that's what it is. Like, you, can't, you cannot bring this into the bathroom. I mean, you could. I'm not going to tell you if I wrote it there or not, but I'm saying that. that but uh, there, there, there's, a, there's a lot of, there, and uh, people's like, have you seen this McCord? Have you seen this McCord? And it's just so inspiring. To see people, you just throwing around the words mindfulness and, and, and seeing it. Like someone's like, Purim is a mindful holiday. I'm like, yes, it is. And so is Pesach. And like, yes, you are right. And like today I was, you know, I mindfully visited my parents. I was like, wow, right? We're being here. We're being here and we're now. Like be here now. And that's, that's really the, 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 the thesis. There's nothing new in this book. I was not machadish a single thing. And it's just an accurate, I believe, an accurate transmission of what I've learned from my teachers that I've been blessed to learn from. And really, um, it's something that I think could speak to all of us because who wouldn't want to be more present to the life that we have? And we're, we're all here in Israel. I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy sell. I mean, we've all made some sort of sacrifice to come here, to live with these values and, and to remind ourselves, even though we'd rather be at SKA sometimes, right? To know that what we're doing here, to really... <laughs> nah, I don't know. <laughs> but um, 
so that 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 so it's it's nice that that I'm able to share this with like-minded people, and I think it's something that I'm looking forward to. If you buy the book, um, to hearing your thoughts and feedback, but. Uh, I can say with relative certainty that uh, if you're someone who's looking to enrich and to deepen their, their spiritual practices, then this book will help you. So tonight we're going to learn a piece of Hasidut, or Hasidus, depending on how you pronounce it. We're going to discuss it briefly, and then we're going to lead a guided meditation. Because this is a mindfulness book. And the piece we're going to learn is the 282nd Torah from Rabbi Nachman's magnum opus, Likute Moran, which is known as Torah Resh Pei Bet or colloquially known as Torah's Azamra. And in that piece, Rabbi Nachman is very famous for trance music and na na nach nachman Ruman, but not really, that's not really him. Um, Rabbi Nachman is very, one of the most- It would be, but it would be. It would be, what is saying? Tahish Azon, as one of the brilliant counselors in Camp Hats once said, I was like, excuse me? She's like, you know, everyone do their own thing. Tahish Azon, I'm like, that's not a thing, but it should be. It really should be. <laughs> so. Rabbi Nachman would say, it's a great mitzvah to be happy constantly. Mitzvah gedola liyot b'simchat tamid. And Azamra is the uh, main teaching about this way to happiness. And the way to do that, Rabbi Nachman explains, is to see the nekuda tova in every single person. To see the good point in every single thing. Azamra means literally, I will sing. It means the songs that we're composing through our own lives. And the way we do that is by focusing on the quote-unquote good notes and separating them from the more not good notes. And what this is a practice of is really cultivating and deepening this sense of how we've had this limited capacity to see ourselves. We really get stuck in our limited viewpoints of ourselves. And Rabbi Nachman had a Talmud, his his primary student was named Rabbi Nassim, who took Rabbi Nachman's Sefer Lakuta Maran and took the entire book and used it as a way of explicating the Shulchan Arach into Lakuta Alechos. And he starts off his Lakuta Alechos, which is with the laws of Hashkama Saboker, of waking up in the morning, and using this Torah of Azamra, of seeing the good points and seeing how that ties into the waking up in the morning. Because waking up isn't just the physical act of waking up, right? Get woke. When we're waking up, we're waking up to our true nature, to our essential being, who we really are. And when we do that, when we have this capacity to start focusing on the good points, to seeing the good within ourselves, then we can actually start to really see like, wow, like that's who I really am. And that's, you know, joking. Oh, this is about Purim, it's about Pesach. We start off the holiday that we're about to enter into, right? Chazal start off the holiday with the first Mishnah in Pesachim, which says, or la'arba'asar, both kines ha'chametz or meaning that's the way we get into Pesach, through bedikas chametz, right? Chametz isn't just finding the 10 pieces of bread that we leave around and we sort of collect symbolically, right? Looking for the chametz is all of the stale ideas that at some point were probably beneficial. At some point in our life, they served a purpose, but they've become stale. They've become chametz. They've become un- unhealthy for us. And what we need to start doing is seeking those out, right? Seek and destroy, which is what we, you know, bedikas chametz is, bedikah and beer, seek and destroy, and finding those nakuda tovas and getting rid of all the other things. So when we start to do that, when we start focusing on these positives, we can start to get out of the disillusions that we've been in and these limiting beliefs and then start to really, really connect to who we are. And so why bother? Why even bother? You know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, right? 
And the analogy is, is that you're in a dark room. You could be in a dark room for 10 minutes. You could be in a dark room for 10 months. You could be in a dark room for 10,000 years. You turn on the light and it's light. That's it. We're woke. We're woke. It's that simple. And practicing this meditation and living this Torah and living with our Nakuda Tova is what allows us to experience the simple of time, the simple of life. So how do we do this practically? What's the practical way of doing this? this is nice. And, and the truth is, we're living in a time where people are talking like this. This isn't so crazy. Maybe back in the, you know, for, to be all the positive psychology and all the feel-good stuff. And it's, it's, for us, Baruch Hashem, hopefully our children are hearing it a lot. But it's really believing it. It's really believing in that little bit. Right? To believe in the little bit that we do. And to find these Nakuda Tovas, as opposed to just paying it lip service. And that's where it's really hard. That's the mysterious Nefesh. And again, back to Pesach. The Jews were at the 49th level of Tumah. Why would Hashem do that? Why did Hashem wait till they were at this most degraded level? Right? To say that that's what happens. You don't need to be this tzaddik. You don't need to be at this esteemed and high level. You were, our ancestors, we were taken out of Egypt when we were at our lowest. Which means that there's something redeemable about us regardless of how we look sometimes. Right? The malachim, the angels at the sea, couldn't see a difference between the Jews who were taken out of Egypt and the Egyptians who drowned. Right? Four-fifths of the Jews, according to the Midrash, died in Makas Choshech. What was the difference between the one-fifth and the four-fifths who were killed? They looked exactly, they dressed like the Egyptians, they talked like the Egyptians, right? There was a belief, there was something in them that they had, that they felt that they were worthy. They felt that they were worthy of being redeemed. And that's what we need to start tapping into. And the way to do that is to cultivate the eyesight of tzaddikim. Tzaddikim tzidkaniyos. And we know that we have this capacity because the Pasuk, the verse says, We all contain this capacity to see ourselves. It doesn't mean you have to have a white beard and a long frock, right? To look at yourself the way a tzaddik does that. And this is what a tzaddik, a true tzaddik, and again, don't get stuck in the, in the, in the, in the optics, right? You don't need to have a certain garb to be a tzaddik or a tzaddikas, right? When you're in the presence of someone who's a tzaddik, all they're looking for, regardless of any religious observance, all they're looking for is to see who we really are. The tzaddik is looking to find this refined capacity that we contain within us and take out those good notes and, and then, you know, sort of fit the bad notes or the not as good notes into it. Rabbi Nachman talks about in the Kutamaran Torah, in the 17th Torah also, how Hashem also derives nachas. Hashem derives pleasure from every single one of us, from every single individual. It's the way we look at our children. It's the way we want it to be looked at as children. It's the way that we want our children to believe in themselves and the way we want to believe in ourselves as well. Why do you love your children? What? If it's because of the grade, we have a problem. If it's because of anything external, right? We don't know how cute we are. We don't know how delicious we are. You know, Tashem, B'ni B'chor Yisrael, everything changed on the night of the Seder. But what happened? If we don't believe in that, what ends up happening is we have that little Russia inside of us, right? The four sons who come to the table, that's not four different people. Those are four archetypes that we contain within us. And that little voice in our head that says, right? And the Baal God that says, Once you've removed yourself, you say, ah, it's not for me. Right? You've missed the whole point, right? Stephen McCovey in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People says, always remember to keep the main thing the main thing. But if you don't know what the main thing is, it doesn't matter if you're keeping it the main thing. Right? What's the main thing? The main thing is right here. Right here, right now. Worthy. Right now. Harei zemeshubach.
So when we're able to sort of draw from this ability, this light of tzaddikim, to cultivate this, then we're able to see our own light through theirs. And we've been exposed in our own lives. And if we haven't been, then it's shaveh to find these people because uh, it's transformative. But we've, I've been exposed to extraordinary teachers, male and female, loving. The first moment when you're in the presence of these people, you're immediately overcome with this realization of, oh, that's who I really am. Right? There's this feeling of deep recognition of the innate and unbreaking power of goodness that we contain. And then you start to get rid of all that chametz. You're able to burn out all that chametz, all of those negative beliefs, all the stories we tell ourselves, all our fears and desires. Right? Why were we redeemed from Egypt? Kacha, b'ni b'chori Yisrael. We're in it together. But if you start to feel, should I be taken out of Egypt? Right? That's who I really am. That's what's right and possible for all, all the people in my life. And then once we have these encounters, it disproves all of the seeming limitations and all the prisons, right? We're, we're, you know, the whole Yisod, again, of Pesach is liberation and freedom. And we're all Baruch Hashem, you know, we're all, we're all pretty free. We're all pretty free, but, you know, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. There's a story, uh, I'm skipping the story. Just tell the story. You like stories. No, Ari Levin was known as the the rabbi of the prisoners, right? So he would go on the first. He went on the first day. The people who were being kept in, in the the Irgun, the the, Brit, the British jails, were keeping him, and he would he would he would selflessly and you know tirelessly go go and and help these prisoners. And so he went to visit them on the first day of Pesach. And he asked them how the seder was. And they said, Rebbe, it was great. We were able to have matzah. We were able to have uh, wine. It was really beautiful. And then one of them sort of, you know, in a mocking way said, there was one problem. Knew what was that? He said, by Shvoch Hamascha, they didn't let us open the door. <laughs> right? They didn't let us open the door. And, and, and what Rabbi Levin said, said that that's not, that's not, Eliyahu doesn't go through any physical door. Right? Eliyahu Tzvi. I said, give a shout out. Eliyahu, Eliyahu is not some like Jewish Santa. He doesn't show up at our door and just, you know, show up at our house and be like, no, Eliyahu is a gilu in neshama, a gilu in a spiritual revelation. It doesn't, it transcends space and time, right? When, when there is redemption, Eliyahu shows up, you know, at a bris, Pesach night, he shows up. That's, that, that's an act, that's an energy and that's, that's a koach that we can tap into. But saying, um, we have to create an opening and the opening has to be in our hearts. And it has to go all the way through. It could be a really small Pesach. Really small Pesach. So again, when we start to look at ourselves with these eyes, with these beliefs, it changes everything. What if my Rebbe had somebody come up to me and say, Rebbe, I hate myself. And this Rabbi happens to be very wise and very, very skilled and adept in, in counseling. And he says, no, you don't. It's a very flippant response. He's like, no, Rebbe, I, I really, I, I, I despise myself. It's not you don't. Rebbe, sometimes I want to kill myself. Token then says, you don't hate yourself. You don't want to kill yourself. You don't know yourself. Because if you really knew yourself, if you really, 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 really knew yourself, you can't hate yourself. And that's how, that's what we're trying to cultivate here. And what we're trying to cultivate for our children. And it's a rapid sadic test, you know, like the rapid strep test. And it doesn't have to be, again, lose the image of the guy in the garb. And the, no, you could be sitting next to the person on the bus. We've, we've seen these people. When we sit next to them or we're with them, they make us feel better about ourselves. If somebody is a tzaddik and he makes you feel crappy about yourself, they're not a tzaddik. It's that easy. 
right? Again, a tzaddik, the person might make you, you know, give you a little zets, give you a little uh, encouragement to, to better yourself. But you walk out of there feeling like a million bucks because that's who you really are. You're tapping into essence. You're tapping into that essential goodness. And this is why this practice is revolutionary. Again, when we daven every morning according to Nusach Hari, Nusach Svard, Hareini Ani Mekayim Al-Atzmi, Mitzvah Aseh Shel, V'yahavta L'Reacha Kamocha. Right? We pay lip service to what we have in our Bible. V'yahavta L'Reacha Kamocha. Right? It's a radical thing to cultivate true happiness in ourselves and in others. It's all based on V'yahavta L'Reacha Kamocha. It's uncovering this force of goodness and love which will uproot all the fears and all the anger and all the anxieties. And it begins with, as touchy, I remember I was talking to Yoni, I was like, you know, it's gonna sound a little touchy-feely. He's like, Benji, everything you say is touchy-feely. Right? <laughs> so, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm owning it, right? The foundation of all of this loving kindness practice is to know how to be our own friend, right? To reteach a thing its own loveliness is the, is the greatest gift. And the Pasuk says, we have to learn and we can say it, we can say it, we can say it. When have we ever practiced cultivating loving kindness towards ourselves? Right? How do I love myself? And, and, and the Rishonim are all tumulting. The Rishonim are going crazy. Like, how could you possibly love anyone more than you love yourself? And every single person who comes into my office is very, very, very adept at feeling really strongly positively towards other people. But you say something nice about yourself, like, ah, let's, let's not push it. Right? You should love your neighbor like you love yourself. This commandment presupposes that one indeed must love his or her own self to fulfill the obligation. You cannot love the other unless you've already accomplished the kamocha. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Self-love is a prerequisite, is a precondition to finally and really accomplishing this mitzvah, of loving the other. Because if you don't love yourself unconditionally, then ultimately the love that you will give to the other is either going to be tainted in loss of boundaries and a futile and agonizing search of intimacy. Because if there's no me, then there's no you. Really, who am I? Who am I? I love you. There's no I. So until we find that I, until we uncover that I, the ani, the real ani, who we really are, through these practices, Rabbi Buddha, who is a... uh, who is Buddha? Let's put him rabbi here. <laughs> Says you can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself, and that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. Or as the Rebbe Reb Walt Whitman put it, I am larger and better than I thought. I did not know, I did not think I held so much goodness. I am larger and better than I thought. I did not think I held so much goodness. We know that there were in certain philosophical and spiritual systems, there was this whole idea of sigufim aguf and, 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 to, and to torture the body. And, and, and the Hasidim and, and even in the times of the Ramchal already getting rid of those people who are rolling around in the snow. But we've gotten past that. We've gotten past the self-flagellation and, and, and mortifying our bodies. But you know what we haven't stopped doing is doing it to ourselves in our heads, right? The belief that we have to hate ourselves enough or, or, or condemn ourselves enough, somehow from that abuse, that will liberate us. And it's just not true. It's just, and, and we're coming into it right now this week, Parshas Para. It doesn't make any sense. I'm going to throw some things. I'm going to... Yeah. Why? Ahavti Yeschem Amar Hashem. You believe it or not. It's mysterious nefesh. It's mysterious nefesh. It's mamish mysterious nefesh to believe in this. 
Because why should I be redeemed from Egypt? I know what I did last summer, right? You know what you did last summer, right? And that's what Amalek comes to take us. And we get our, it's, it's the whole progression of the Shkalim to Amalek to Parah to Chodesh, right? Shkalim is like, you have something to give. It might not be a lot, but it's yours. And Amalek says, get out of here. You need to do something big. You kill that Amalek. Kill that voice in your head. And then Parah is just like this, I'm going to purify, purify myself. This unconditional, radical acceptance. I don't know why this is. I don't know how this works. It does. And Chodesh, start over. Over and over. Beginner's mind. Infinite possibilities. Questions? Comments? Just, uh, I, I didn't make enough copies. I didn't make any copies, actually. It's made for me. <coughs> but this is uh, Torah Reish Pei Bet. Sorry, I'm not a teacher. Torah Reish Pei Bet. Rabbi Nachman says it's a Karduner song. So uh, that might help. Da. And it's a tradition that when Rabbi Nachman writes the word Da, it's coming from a very, very high place. Kitzarif ladunet kol adam lekapsos. You have to judge everyone favorably. Vafilu mishehu rashagamur. Right? Because Rabbi Nachman was a tzalik. Everyone agrees. You say, you see someone who's a Rasha Gamor, and I don't think there's anyone that we know. I mean, certainly not in this room that is a Rasha Gamor. You've got to find something good. In that place, just in that specific place where you're bringing your focus, that person is not a Rasha. When you judge this person favorably, you're suddenly changing it. Right? In that little bit, the Pasuk says, Right? In that little bit, old ma'at, in just that little nakuda tova that we're able to find, suddenly he's not that sinner anymore. You're going to reflect on that because that's where you're choosing to bring your focus. And he's not there anymore because he's not, he's not a Russia anymore in that place. That little bit of good exists. And what we do in our lives, what we do for our spouses, what we do for our children, what we do for our family and for our friends, is we can serve as mirrors for one another. We, we look to one another to see, are, am I really capable of this goodness? Am I really lovable? You see how your kids look at you. You see how your spouse looks at you sometimes. Sometimes. You see how your spouse looks at you. I'm good, right? I'm good. Right? We look to each other to reflect that innate radiance that we all contain. It's such a tremendous gift. What a bracha to give to someone else. To enable someone's return to that awareness of their own loveliness. When we see the goodness in others, we're enabling them to really flower, to really blossom into who they are. Right? I'm larger and better than I thought. I did not know that I contained so much good. And if you're like me, you're thinking to yourself, whoa, this guy's a Russia. We're given a free pass. Right? Seeing the good in someone does not imply ignoring their difficult qualities or their unskillful actions. But we can fully acknowledge these difficulties while at the same time choosing to focus on the positive. Because if we're just focusing on the negative and thinking about our family members, children, spouse, siblings, if we're just going to focus on the negative, we're going to naturally feel anger, resentment, disappointment. But by focusing on that positive, that being your starting point, you forge a connection with that person. And then when you're looking at that negative trait, when you're looking at that annoying thing that that person's doing. You're not doing it from an adversarial place. You're not doing it from this huge chasm that you've created of me and them and us and them and this whole distance. It's, oh, we're on the same team here. We just need to figure something out, right? We're standing side by side. This mirroring quality where we teach a thing its loveliness, right, is the greatest attribute of this Nakuda Tova practice. Because we're showing them that they could be loved and they can love in return. And that's the 
greatest gift we can give. And that's a gift to ourselves as well. To teach ourselves and our world our inherent loveliness. Because that is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from us. Yisrael asher b'cha espire. HaKadosh Baruch says, I get beauty. You're my crowning joy. You're my, you're my achievement. You're b'ni b'chor Yisrael. You're either in or out. Otherwise, you know, I don't know what we're doing here. Right? I said to Eliora, I was like, what are we doing? She's like, this is what God wants. I was like, we're special. And you either buy it or you don't. But I'm choosing to buy it for tonight, at least. One moment at a time. But it has to start with us. It has to start with ourselves. And Rabbi Nachman then continues. Right? You can't do it if you're just doing it for other people. Because like we said, if you don't have that kamocha aspect, it dissolves into loss of boundaries and a, a very, very difficult search for intimacy. Right? Back to Rabbi Nachman's creed of, of finding real simcha. And simcha, there's a chapter on simcha in the book also. It's not that fleeting, uh, transient emotion of you know, happiness. Simcha is a receptacle for which we can experience all, all of life's difficulties and ups and downs. Right? And even when you look at yourself, Rabbi Nachman says, and you see that there's not a good thing there, and you have a lot of sins, and you want to do it, and, 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 you, and, the, and the voice in your head, that amulek in your head is saying that, you know what, you're not redeemable, and you're going to be one of those four-fifths, and hotzias atzvah minaklal, right? Kafar bikar, keep the main thing, the main thing. We all want this, right? If we can't find that nakuda tova within ourselves, we can remind ourselves that in spite of the fact that we haven't, you know, today we just didn't do anything really good, we all want this. Every single one of us, every single person in this room wants, wants this Nakuda Tova. Every single person in this room wants to be attached to this Nakuda Tova, to live with this Nakuda Tova as their guiding prism, as their guiding principle in their lives. Right? And we have to search for it. We have to look for it. We learned, the Gemara says that we do it with a candle based on a Pasuk in Sefania. It says, That's how we learn that we do a candle. We use Bidikas Chams, we use a candle. Right? We're looking for not just the chametz. We're also looking for our Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim again is is a, is a physical place. It takes an hour and a half to get there, but it is <laughs> in traffic. It's a physical place, but it's also a metaphysical state. Our Yerushalayim, that untainted part of us, that we have to search for. It's not so easily available, and we have to use that oraner, that that guiding light. If we're looking for our faults and we don't have that guiding light, that nakuda tova to use, then we're just going to see darkness. But once we have the correct vantage point, once we have the correct, you know, the correct prescription to see things, okay, then we can look at the darkness, but we can see it with the right, with the right lenses, right, through the or haner. So if we truly love ourselves, if we want to take care of others, because that is the most enriching, that's the most nourishing thing we can do, it's so enlivening. And we see that people want to be happy, and we see that people want to feel this Nakuda Tova, and once we see that, it just straightens the whole thing out. And all the mistakes that we might have made and all the times that we botched things up and the times we've caused pain and all the times we've suffered, right? Throughout everything, this Nakuda Tova always is immutable. It remains intact. It remains pure. And through practicing this meditation and making it part of our lives, in our daily lives, we're going to cultivate this potential. Because our potential to love is very real and somehow never destroyed, no matter what we experience. That's the Magen Avram. That's Hashem's promise when he takes us out of Egypt. And nevertheless, reminded of a, of a, it's a poem by Raymond Carver. It, just, it struck me, it was also one of those graduation speeches. 
and uh, he's talking about the different questions you can ask yourself in life. And, and by asking your questions, he said, if you ask yourself these questions repeatedly enough, then you'll be able to answer yes to the final bonus question. And the questions were, um, couldn't we at least to work through difficulties and wait what to get more details about things? He says at the end, he finally got to what's the bonus question? What was the final question? The question when the poem was, and did you get what you wanted out of life even so? And that even so is the real kicker, right? Af al Because every one of us is living a life where there's an even so, right? This is not how we predicted it. This is not how we expected things to turn out. Not everyone is living a life where everything is glad. Af al Did you get what you wanted out of life even so? And the poem continues and said, yes, I did. And what was that? To feel beloved, to call myself beloved on this earth. Right? Imagine, imagine if we can instill that in our kids. Imagine if we can instill that within ourselves. To see the good, to see the good without, without focusing on what we did or didn't do. Right? And then straightens the whole thing out by practicing this. And if we can't see, it's, it's realizing that that's all we really, really want. What we, and you go around the room and I feel so confident looking around the room and saying, what is it that we really, really want? Ah, okay, a secondhand Toyota Yaris. That's, that's my dream. But I'm saying after that, once I, once I get that out of my system, right? I want to be happy. I want to live a simple sachayim. I want to believe. I want to believe that I'm bringing Hashem nachas. I want to believe that I'm bringing my family nachas. I'm, that, 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 that I'm a tribute to, to, to my parents, right? We all want to feel that. That's all, and it's righteous, and it's noble. And we get caught up in the, in the day-to-day-to-day. And so we have to pause. And once we start realizing that that's our real intention, what's really true, it's enlivening and it's empowering. And all we're doing is just planting these seeds and settling back and seeing what happens from it without worrying about the immediate results, about, you know, enlightenment now. It's not happening. It's not happening. We don't know. We don't know. Cultivating a don't-know mindset is also part of the book. Adelo yada. Adelo yada. Ben Arahaman Mubarak Mordechai. Which one are you? Don't know. doesn't matter. I'm going to put on my film today. I'm going to make that bracha. Be more careful about how I speak to my spouse. Adelayada, don't know. Yeah, but remember what you did? Adelayada, right now. Right now. So that's uh, part one. Any other questions before we go to the meditation? Mm-hmm.